0: Oh, come on, I read that one. I thought that was good. There you go. All right, all right. Uh, Try, everybody do me a favor, try drinking a gallon of water before you go to bed. It'll give you a reason to get up in the morning. (laughs) All right. Y'all ready? Hey, uh, by the way, by the way, of all the messages I preach, these August messages I preach on core values might be my favorite every year. You know why? Because I believe, without a shadow of doubt, that God called me to this community, and he's called you to be a part of this church, and he's called us to do something together that is amazing. I believe that. If you're here today, God's probably calling you to be a part of something amazing. Alright, so that being said, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? And we're going to read, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to reread. I I, I started the sermon last week, and just so you know, I'm not going to re-preach it to you, but I am going to recap last week, and then we're going to jump into today's material. Because some of you were asleep, they say, I heard somebody say that people about, um, I think it was about 46% of you, that your brains are not where your feet are. Right? At any given moment, your brains aren't where your feet are. So could you take about three minutes here with me? Could you pull your brains back to be here where your feet are? Y'all do that? Look at somebody and say, come back. Come back. Please come back. Come back to me. All right. Y'all ready? Here we go. Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. The Lord said, if as one people... Speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. Everybody read this with me. You ready? Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Then nothing they plan to do will be what? Impossible. Jesus says that we are to have a faith. The apostle Paul wrote about a kind of faith that is exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. I'm tired of living a faith that is simply all I can muster up. I need a faith and a power from God that's bigger than what I can muster up. (laughs) I need stuff that's bigger than I can imagine. I need a life that makes more sense and has more purpose than I can muster out of it. I got about four of you awake. Come on. <laughs> I might have to be an elbow in the body of Christ today and call you stupid again, and then you might listen to me. know. anyway. <laughs> oh. No, 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 no. All right. You'll have to listen to last week's message for that. All right? So, Jesus, I pray today you would help us to awaken to the fact that we're called to be a part of something bigger than just us. That together with you, with you as our head and we, your body, we get to make an impact not only on our little worlds, but the greater world through what we do together. And we ask today, I ask today, that you would move into this space and this place in this moment with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you would quicken our hearts to be alive in you, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, do not sit down yet because there's somebody next to you that hasn't had a smile all day. And they need somebody to smile at them. So, just turn to them and say, hey, you're awesome. I'm glad you're sitting close to me. Come on, come on, somebody. You got to tell them. If you're online, you're awesome. I'm glad you're joining me today. All right. <clears throat> you ever feel insignificant? Yeah. You ever feel like um, you're really not that important? Well, all right, I, I got the perfect illustration for because the Bible says we are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ, each part is important, and each part has purpose, and each part matters, right? And I I know if you ever feel insignificant, anybody ever had a hangnail on your pinky? Anybody ever had a hangnail on your pinky that got infected? And then you lay in bed at night, woken up at two or three in the morning, laying there unable to sleep because the hangnail on your pinky is throbbing. Anybody ever been there other than me? Say amen if you have. All right. So we recognize that even the hangnail on our pinky is important. If the hangnail on the pinky is important, how much more important are you? You, if your pinky... In the body of Christ, and that's your job—to be a pinky in the body of Christ. You're important. There are some of you might be a colon in the body of Christ. I Had a guy come up to me one time and said, "Here, take a look at this picture of my colon." And I'm like, "I'm not sure. I'm very comfortable with this." But he showed me the picture of his colon because he had had colon cancer, and now he was clean. And God had healed him, done a miracle, and he was clean. He was excited about that. I'm glad I have a colon. My uncle has a semicolon. He lost the other half in the war. (laughs) Come on. Y'all got to wake up. You got to help me out here, all right, or else it's going to go on all day. So why am I doing this kind of stuff? I'm talking to you about this. You're important. Aren't you glad you have a colon? Yes. It's a little weird to see your colon out in public, right? But I'm glad my body has a colon. You might be a part of the body of Christ that you should never be up here but maybe you're the one that cleans the toilets because somebody's got to deal with the poop. Come on. are, are, are y'all awake? <laughs> All right, so if these people were able to do the impossible, it was because they actually did something. They joined together to each person do their job, and when they did their job, everybody got better, and the bigger task was accomplished. And God said, and we talked about this last week, about the fact that none, of, that what they were doing was wrong. They were disobeying God's command to scatter. They desired to make a name for themselves rather than accepting the name God had for them. They wanted to create a new religion. And God says, no, you're not going to do that. So he sent down, he went down and he confused their language and he spread them apart. But then we also went to the New Testament and said, That the church of Jesus Christ is the, it is the um, um, reversal of Babel. It is the reversal of Babel. So what happened at Babel? uh, Where they built the tower, going to make a name for themselves and hang out. And God says, no, you ain't going to do it. The church is the reversal of Babel. Because they disobeyed God's command, but we want to obey God's command to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. Acts 1-8. They wanted to make a name for themselves. We want to make a name for Jesus Christ, right? We're not here to make a name for us. We're here to make a name for Jesus. So it's a reversal of the curse. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to make God's name great. And then uh, they wanted to create a new religion. We want to be the people that are submitted to the faith that God has passed along to us, not creating something new for ourselves. And and the last thing is, God went down and he confused their tongues. But on the day of Pentecost, you remember, they were all in one place, one accord, and the Holy Spirit came and they all spoke in tongues. And and the purpose of that moment was to give a reversal of the curse of tongues separating. Instead, tongues in that moment united. That's Acts chapter 2. You can read that in your Bible. And one more thing. God said about them, they were doing something in unity against God, and God said, nothing will be impossible for them. Together, if we work in unity together for God's purposes, with God's power, nothing will be impossible for us. So we said, this is what we're united to do. Here's our mission statement for Harvest Ridge. Harvest Ridge Church exists to present the life-changing power of Jesus to current and coming generations. I believe you have that side. Could you, would you mind putting that up there? Harvest Ridge Church exists to present the life-changing power of Jesus to current and coming generations. This is the reason we exist. We want to gather together in unity around this vision. We're here to present the life-changing power of Jesus, not God. We didn't say God. Do you know why we didn't say God? Not because we don't believe in God, but because everybody in the world has their version of God. But there's only one Jesus, (laughs) right? And we know who Jesus is. You read the red, you find out who he is pretty doggone quick, right? Read the red letters in the Bible. So we want people to encounter Jesus, knowing Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're the same, you know, Trinity. We we hold all the orthodox views, so this is not some weird place. Well, we're weird, but not for those reasons. All right. So here... Our calling is to gather together in unity to accomplish the impossible for the kingdom of God. And we do so to present, the reason we are here is we want to present the life-changing power of Jesus. Um, By the way, sorry, there's a lady in our church. um, Her her name's Jessie, and I'm gonna embarrass her. We're gonna try to get this on video. But Jessie uh, had been diagnosed recently with an incurable blood disease that grows cancer. Once it is in her body, it never leaves her body. It's incurable, and it's a disease that grows cancer. If you know the story of Jessie Stacer, I'm telling you her story. She went back to the doctor the other day. They did a blood test on her. They've been praying and asking God, and guess what, guess what? She's clean. She has none of that in her body. She is completely healed. Now, what is impossible becomes possible when we pray. What is impossible becomes possible when we're gathered together under the lordship of Jesus and for the glory of his name. And what we want is we want that same power to be revealed to our world. because. They desperately need it. So we have four ways we go about revealing this life-changing power of Jesus to current coming generations. So the first way we do it is we want people to connect. We want to provide opportunities, connect. Can you go to the next slide? Um, We want people to connect, providing opportunities to establish a connection with God through salvation, baptism, and a life-filled life filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what we want for you. We want you to connect with God. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, this space, this place, our gathering together is not a time for you to be wowed by our show, but for you to encounter Jesus. Now, we had some people, I told you this, I think, we had some people come in from one of the big cities, and they came in, and they were evaluating our. I mean, we want to be better. We want to be good, right? So, we, we do this stuff. So, we had some consultants come in, and, and they evaluated our get-together here, and man, did they they tore me up one side and down the other, and they tore everything up one side and down the other, and, and they said, yeah, you, you know, those skinny, they were a bunch of skinny jean wearing, scarf-wearing dudes with, you know, lots of product in their hair (laughs) and and they came and they were telling us why we weren't cool can I can I be really honest with you I was cool one day I actually was one week in my life I was cool it was my junior year of high school I was cool I was I really was cool I was in the cool crowd I was really really cool and then it went really south and cool people turned and stabbed me in the back you know what I decided I don't have to be cool. You know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be me. And and you know what? This church doesn't have to be cool. Do you know what we need to do? We need to follow Jesus. We need to be committed to him. Yes, we need to be committed to him. So when you walk through the doors of this place, you don't have to be cool. You don't have to look right. You don't have to feel right. You don't have to even act right. You know what we want you to do? We want you to turn your eyes and your heart to Jesus. And let, we want you to connect with the life giving power of heaven. That's what we want for you. That's why we do Harvest Palooza. That's why we're going to do Harvest Palooza if it's raining, if it's shining. The only way we'll call it off is if it's thundering. And you'll know that because we'll send you a text. But I'll talk to you about that in a minute. We're a go, man. We're a go. You know why we're a go? We're go because we're here to do everything we can short of sin to get people who don't know Jesus to meet Jesus. We'll do anything. If I have to stand on my head and juggle, I'll learn. (laughs) Stand on my head, that is. (laughs) All right, y'all ready? Second thing, community. We're here to build community, providing opportunities for spiritual growth by developing real, honest, and Christ-like relationships. People do not grow in rows. You grow in circles. Now, you get maybe inspired, maybe you get encouraged, you get connected in rows, but the only way you grow is in circles. You do not grow in your spiritual faith because I am a good preacher, because that's not enough. There have been great preachers throughout the history of the world, there have been people that I can't... Come close to them. It, we don't grow, you don't grow in your faith because we've got a great worship team because you can go to YouTube and hear better worship than that. You can go to uh, iPod or whatever po- uh, podcasting and hear better messages. All of those things are available to you. The reason for you gathering in rows is so you can have a place so you can take the next step of connection. Take the next step of connection. We want you to have real, honest, Christ-like relationships with people. So several years ago, we asked ourselves the question. Because I noticed we had a problem in our culture of people having lots of head knowledge but not being discipled. And I was like, what, what are we going to do to disciple people here? How are we going to do it? So I decided to go, you know, look at the one guy that in three years turned the world upside down. Right, So how did Jesus disciple people? And you know what I found out? Discipleship doesn't come from knowledge, but from relationship. Jesus, in three years, turned the world upside down by investing in 12 people. Those 12 people then turn around and invest in others. Every time you read a Pauline letter, I want you to look at all the names he mentions. Do you know why he mentions all those names? Because relationships are how people get changed. All right? How did Jesus disciple people? Well, first of all, he took a small group, right? How many did he get together? 12. By the way, one of them was 12. There you go. However it is. 12. There you go. 12. 12 people. He invested all his time in 12 people. He ignored the crowd sometimes just to hang out with his 12. Isn't that correct? Anybody ever read the Bible? How do you disciple? How do you grow in relationship with God? Well, you get a small group. Mark 3, 14, what was the calling? He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Mark 3, 14, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. So the the purpose for Jesus doing his ministry the way he did is he wanted 12 people to be committed to him. So, they walked together and they talked about God. Literally, what did they do? They did stuff together. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away, and his disciples came up to him and called attention to the building. So, what were they doing? They were walking. They were walking. And as they were walking, they asked Jesus questions. Jesus interacted with them. So, and you know one other thing they did? They ate a lot. They did. They did. Every time you read in the Bible, where's Jesus at? He's at a party eating with his 12 and others. So I looked at discipleship and I realized that we're probably doing discipleship wrong because we had people sitting in class listening to information they weren't ever going to do anything with. (laughs) Do you really need to know what the sixth seal in Revelation really means? If you believe in a rapture, you're going to be gone already. Why do you need to know? You don't need to know. You know what you need to know? You need to know how to do relationships with other people because the one command Jesus gave us is not understand the book of Revelation. The one command he left us was what? Love one another as I have loved you. So relationships are how we grow in our faith with Christ. So community is absolutely necessary. They were reclining at a table in Matthew 26, 20. Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, and they were eating, and he said to them. So what we figured out is here's how we do discipleship, and we should have this one on the screen. Discipleship is when one person who wants to grow in relationship with God gets in community with another person or persons who wants to grow in relationship with God. What you have is you have one person who wants to grow with another person who wants to grow, and then you have growth. This, in our world, is called? (laughs) Jim's got it. I hear his voice back there. Life groups. I I wish I had that voice. I know I have a face for radio. I just don't have a voice for radio either. (laughs) Yeah. You know, life groups. The reason I say this is I I want you to think and question everything I tell you. All right? I want you to question everything except for one thing, and that is you get in a life group. I want you to be a zombie. I want you to be a zombie when it comes to life groups. Why? I want you to get in a life group. Life group. So when I say life groups, I want you to be a zombie. I don't want you to think about it. Just go do it. You can ask me any question. You can question anything else I say. But listen, the only way you're going to grow is when you get in a small group of circle with other people. All right? So what are life groups? They are our primary form of discipleship. You need to be in one. There are three key elements to every group. This is what you do at a life group. You ready? You eat. Hallelujah. Because what did Jesus do when he got together and discipled his people? He hey. Then what do you do? You pray. You pray for one another. Now, I work out with a group of guys, and they're all, they're uncomfortable with this praying thing. (coughs) So when we go to pray at the end, I'll pray, Jesus, help these knotheads make it through the week. And they can say pray a similar prayer back for me. I, it's not how awesome the prayer is; it's the fact that I'm taking my brother to the throne room of Jesus. Why do you think you have got to be awesome in your prayers? You're not awesome with anything else. Why do you have to be awesome at this? Come on. All right, you're awesome at everything else. I'm not awesome at anything. So I, in this moment, a prayer. Can we just talk to God like he's a friend? <clears throat> so you eat, you pray, and then you talk about the Bible. In our life groups, we make this really simple. If you listen to me talk today, you, and, and if you're even trying to be mentally here for two minutes, you're going to have a thought. That thought could be, that's stupid. That thought could be, I wonder what he meant by that. That thought could be, I didn't like that. I don't care what your thought is. But if you're even trying to be here, you're going to have a thought about the scriptures and the thoughts I'm presenting, right? So when you go to a life group, what do you do? Talk about those thoughts. Wow, isn't this simple? You know, we tried life groups dozen, uh, actually seven different ways. And we finally settled on this way because we want you to eat together. We want you to say some kind of prayer for each other. And we want you to talk about the scriptures we've engaged in that week in our gathering. How hard is it to lead a life group? Not very hard. You just open up your house and let people bring food. And then you sit down for a couple of minutes and you talk. And then before it's over, you say, Jesus, help these knotheads. Amen. (laughs) This doesn't sound very hard, does it? well, then why aren't you doing it? Because God's already told you to do it and you won't do it. There are four or five of you that you should be leading a life group and you're not doing it. You're, come on, stop. Stop making excuses. Just do it. Oh, oh, and why wouldn't you want to be a part of a life group? Quit making excuses. And I'll tell you what, my daughter at camp this year, my daughter was at camp and they did a belly flop. Contest. Yeah? I think we got a picture of her. Do you have a picture? We don't have a picture? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. It was in my sermon notes, man. Uh, anyway, sorry. We, we will have to get this fixed because you know what she did? She, I got a picture of her flying through the air like this. And she is this high off the water. And she's like, nah! and, and you know what that says? That wasn't. Oh, I think I might jump off the diving board in the belly flop contest. That was, I'm committed. I'm all in committed. The number one issue I have with people who call themselves Christians is you're only about 30 to 50% committed. Would you just belly flop it? Could we just do it? It only hurts for a second, and then everybody cheers. <laughs> all right. Um, so, uh, I, I'm going to move on. Let's go to the next one. The next one is contribute. <clears throat> we want to pri- provide opportunities for every believer to use their time, talent, treasure to positively impact our world. We want to use every believer, use their time, talent, treasure to positively impact our world. So, we believe that the greatest value you can add to your life is to contribute. Jesus said in Matthew, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, there's a quote of Jesus, remembering the Lord's own words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Everybody everybody listen to this real quick. It is what? I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a blessed life. I'd like to live a And the only way you're going to enter in that more blessed world is when you commit all in. It is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed. That means you commit your time, your talent, and your treasure. Now, I'm not going to go off on this very much except simply to say this. If you hear out of this comment, well, the church only wants my money. I would tell you, you are absolutely wrong. We want a whole lot more than your money. Yes, we want your money, but we want a whole lot more. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And do you know what we want? Your heart. I want you to be committed with all of your heart, not halfway not 60%, not 70%, all in. I want one of those belly flops out of you that you're all in, committed. God wants your time, your talent, and your treasure. And by the way, if you will contribute, you will grow in maturity. If you do not contribute, you will not mature as a follower of Jesus. I can take you to the Bible. If you wanted to open your Bible, you could open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read it for you. Apparently, we have a snafu, one of 10,000 in Harvest Palooza (laughs) a week. We have a snafu, and we don't have my slides today. So I'm going to read it for you. I want you to listen, all right? Everybody nudge somebody and tell them "Listen." Listen, listen. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and the knowledge of the son of god and become hey we've got it and become what mature, mature. what do we want you to be mature. i want you to grow up i want you to develop so the and and when you're mature you attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then, then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth on the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, you won't follow every TikTok or Twitter or, or Facebook hack that leads you astray, because you will be able to be mature and know what it means to follow Jesus. Instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Come on, we're going to be a people of truth and a people of love. We're going to be a people of truth and love. I can, if, you're, if your house is on fire, I'm like, I know their house is on fire and they're going to burn to death, but it's unloving to wake them up in the middle of the night. It's just so unloving to disturb their sleep. I know they're gonna die, but I wouldn't want to upset them. And a lot of us, that's the approach we take towards speaking the truth to people in our culture. Listen, if there's a girl that has anorexia, she does not need to hear you say, You're right, you are fat, you should just starve yourself to death. Do you know what she needs to hear? You're beautiful, but you got a problem. Let's get it fixed. Come on, you're awesome. You're amazing. And you're beautiful. But I think maybe you think wrongly about yourself. That's what she needs. You know, in our culture, do you know what people need? The they need the truth. Because... The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to destroy people. And in our culture, people are believing lies all the time, and the church is sitting there saying, well, I don't want to disturb them. They might get mad at me. If my house is on fire, you better be knocking on my door. I don't care if you disturb my sleep. Where am I at? Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the what? Mature body. Do we not have the others? We don't. I have no idea what's going on today. It says, uh, verse 15, if you got a Bible, I tell you what, it'd be a great day to open your Bible. Yeah, there you go. I see a Bible waved at me. Instead, verse 15, Ephesians chapter 4, 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow in every respect to be the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And there, notice these last five words. As each part, six words, does its work. The only way you become the mature body as each part does its work. The only way is where my pinky shows up, where my colon shows up, where my or delt or whatever shows up, where my backbone shows up, right? The only way I am mature, you know, if you take my backbone out of my body, I am not going to walk around as a healthy individual, right? I need vertebrae number five and vertebrae number six. I need eyes. I need these things. You need To be a part of the body because if I take my vertebrae and I lay it over there by itself, it doesn't do the body any good. You need to contribute what you have to offer to the body of Christ. And that's the only way your life will begin to make sense. COVID taught us this. It did. I I read a study this past week that said, People who attended church before, people who attended church through, and people who attended church after COVID had like half the cases of COVID of people who didn't. I don't understand. I'm not making a judgment here on why or anything like that. I'm just simply saying there seems to be something to this. There seems to be something to it. How about this? During COVID, we found out that the only people whose mental health went up were people who continued to worship. Everybody else, their mental health went down. Staggering amounts, like percentage points down. (laughs) The only people? People who served to follow Christ in the middle of it all. People who are committed. People who said, I'm going to follow Jesus, regardless of what anybody says, I'm all in for Jesus. And I'm not, judge- I'm not trying to judge people who did this, that, or the other. I'm not, I'm not. That's not what this statement is about. My statement is, it seems to me, listen to my statement, it seems to me that there's something to this faith thing that it actually does help you live a better life. And I can show you study after study after study. When I go to a hospital to pray for somebody, when somebody shows up at a hospital to pray in the name of Jesus over somebody, their chances of getting better go up like 33%. <laughs> I, we get people healed of incurable blood diseases. We've had people healed of nerve damage that never goes away. It seems to me that when we listen to God and we commit to him, Our lives are lived more like they're supposed to be lived. So I'm saying, I want you to contribute. I want you to go all in. I want you to use your time, your talent, and treasure. By the way, to do that, at some point, you're going to act like you own this church instead of attend this church. (laughs) I'm tired of people attending Harvest Ridge. I'd like to have some owners at Harvest Ridge. Do you know the difference between an attender and an owner? Your neighbor calls you and says, oh, my basement just flooded. And you say, oh, I'll come over and help. And you help. But you know what? After you're done helping and you go home, they're still dealing with it because they're the owner. Correct? Yeah? We're not trying to own a church. You know what we're trying to own? Our part of the kingdom of God and be committed to our part of the kingdom of God. All in, not just as long as it's comfortable in. It's the reason we're going to show up at Harvest Palooza tonight. If it's raining, it's sunny, whether, I don't don't care, whatever, whatever. You know why we're going to show up at Harvest Palooza tonight and we're going to serve people? Do you know why we're going to do it? Because we're committed to contribute regardless of what it costs us. Amen. I got one amen. We are not in following Jesus as long as it's comfortable. We are in following Jesus and doing his will regardless of what it costs us. We contribute our time, talent, and treasure all in for Jesus. That's who we are. And if you're not there yet, step on in. The water's really good here. And I love this line on the screen. You are not responsible for outcomes just for obedience. All right. Oh, goodness. All right. Last of all, and then I'll move along because I, I got four minutes. Y'all ready? Children, fourth core value. We want to provide opportunities for children and youth to fully commit their lives to Christ and fulfill God's purpose for their lives. Now, what this means is um, I, I hear it being called next gen a lot. I don't like that term. There is no next gen in the kingdom of God. Every generation is a now gen. Uh, Pastor Jesse was telling me the other day, his daughter, like four years old, said to some girl at Dairy Grove the other day, so are you a Christian? (laughs) And again, that that little four-year-old, her statement of sheer faith opened up the door for a gospel witness to this girl. There is no next gen at this church. Every gen is a now gen. Coming generations doesn't, it means the generations 20 years from now. We want not only to serve everybody who's alive right now, but everybody who's going to be alive. We want to prepare ourselves to be current and coming generations. We want to provide opportunities specifically for children. Here's one. All right. Simple stats. Do you know the average person who gets saved? Over eighty percent of people who give their lives to Christ do so before the age of thirteen. Over eighty percent, multiple studies, I can't give you exact number, but over eighty percent of people who give their lives to Christ do so before their thirteenth birthday. So if you were a marketer trying to do a marketing campaign to get kids to smoke, you would make a camel that looks like oh sorry, sorry. Isn't that what they got in trouble for? Right? They were marketing next gen because they knew if you can get a kid to start smoking, you have them for a lifetime. And we know something else. If you can get a kid to develop a deep faith before the age of 13, they'll have it for a lifetime. So, so, if we're marketing for sustainability to pass along our faith to the next generation, which, by the way, is direct command of scripture, and I'm going to read you some scriptures in a second. Who do you think we should target? Our outreach is for? 13 and below. The problem is people below the age of 13 do not drive themselves to church. They don't bring themselves to church, right? Yeah, and bus ministry is not going to be happening much in this culture we're in right here. We're not going to be driving around picking up kids because parents just won't do that anymore. But do you know what? If, if, a lady, if a lady brings them to church, they have like 30% chance of staying with their faith. If a gentleman brings them to church, if their father brings them to church, it's almost 80%, it's over 70% of them will stay committed to faith. So do you know what we want to do? We want to create an environment where dads with small kids can experience God and pass along their faith to the next generation. We are committed to children but we're committed that dads can hear the message and grow in their faith. That's the reason, do you see any flowers up here? It's the reason we do Harvest Palooza. You know why we do Harvest Harvestpalooza? Because one day I was trying to figure out what we could do with my family and my three small kids, and we didn't have a lot of money. And I'm like, well, we don't have a lot of money, and it's Labor Day weekend, and I have been down to the rib fest or the beer fest or whatever the heck that thing was. It was not a good place to take my kids. And it cost a ton. Like, I'd, I'd leave spending 120 bucks uh, to watch my kids watch people get drunk and act like idiots, and I didn't want that. So I said, why don't we as a church do something so that dads can be the hero and they can bring their kids to the park and when they're done, mom can look at them and say, oh, you're so awesome. And they might even get lucky after the fireworks and then they're always going to love us. (laughs) What? Nothing I said is wrong. We'll do anything short of sin, bro. Come on. (laughs) What I want us to be is I want us to be an environment where kids are welcome and where they feel good. A couple of scriptures just to tell you where this comes from. Isaiah 39, there's a guy that did the wrong thing. His name was Hezekiah. He was a great king until he got to the end. And when he got to the end, he did something really crazy. He said, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, the prophet told him, Hezekiah, your own flesh and blood who are born to you will be taken away. They'll become eunuchs in the place of the palace of the king of Babylon. And and this is his reply when he got bad news. He said, the word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and safety in my day. There will be peace and safety in my day. What was Hezekiah only concerned about? His own personal comfort, not what would happen to his kids. And Hezekiah started really good and he became really bad because he was selfish and only cared about him. Listen. Some of the music we sing is not my music. We don't gear it towards me. I'm no longer the target audience. It's not about me anymore. I'm too old. It's not about me anymore. It's about the next gen. You wonder why we hire young pastors? Because we're here to raise up next gen. We're we're here to raise up a coming generation to be what God made them to be. Why, Why do we do these things? We do these things intentionally because I want your kids to have a place where they can encounter Jesus. Every Saturday morning we meet up here and pray in the chapel. You know what we pray for every Saturday? That those kids in the nursery would experience Jesus. That they would feel a love come over them. And their earliest childhood memories would be a pleasant place where God is alive and real and moving in their heart. This is who we are. All right, why? Psalm seventy-one eighteen says, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come, to the coming generations. Psalm 78, 4, We will tell the next or the coming generations the praiseworthy deeds of our Lord, his power, his wonders, he has done. So the coming generations will know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Come on, do y'all, do y'all get this? How about Proverbs 13, 22? A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And I'm not, just not talking about money. I'm talking about an atmosphere and a space and a place where they can worship God in freedom. All right. Jesus set this as an example for us. And let's go to Jesus. Mark 10, and we'll be done. People were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, Jesus, Jesus was indignant twice in the New Testament. And this is one of those times. He was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me. For theirs, listen to his words, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not theirs will be the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. What do we want to be? We want to be a space where next gen can play on bounce houses in the rain. Play games and get their face painted. And run around and act crazy with their parents. That's what we want to be. But where they experience the love of Jesus because we go the extra mile. And there, I know, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've even heard it about this space. Well, those kids, they make a mess out of the place. Doggone right they do. That's why we pay. That's the reason you tithe, so we can pay people to clean up the mess. Do you know why? Because kids are a mess. Anybody have kids? My granddaughter comes over for one afternoon. The whole place. Hurricane Fallon moves through the Crow household. (laughs) I got stuff laying everywhere. It's always a mess. Do you know what the Bible says about that? Proverbs 14, 4, without an ox in the stable stays clean. (laughs) But if you want to harvest, you need an ox. Do you want to have a reason and purpose? And some of you are saying, I'm too old. I can't do this bull. We're going to create a room back there where you can just sit and rock. <laughs> that's what you do. I you're not too old. Find one of these not-edded kids running around. Find out their name. Figure out their name. Ask them their name. Mark them in your Bible and pray for them. These guys are going to pass out communion. If you need communion, Doug is being Mr. Awesome. Just catch his eye. He'll give you communion. We're going to celebrate communion together. Um, I, I Listen, I want to inspire and I want you to leave this place feeling good, but I I want to tell you that I'm not trying to inspire you today. I'm challenging you today. I'm about this far from your nose yelling at you, saying, when are you going to get committed? When are you going to stop this playing around and when are you going to step into real Christian faith? When are you going to commit? When are you going to serve? When are you going to take the next step? Go through volunteer lab. Go through essentials. Go through... Go through membership class. When are you going to take the next step? When are you going to say, you know what? I am a part of the body of Christ. It's time for me to quit making excuses and go all in. And that's what I am today. I'm just all up in your face. And I love you, but I'm all up here. You know why I'm all up here? Because it's the only way you grow. If you're 40 years old, you know, when a baby's a baby and you take the little spoon and you try to feed them and you go "Uh y'all know what I'm talking about you try to feed a baby and your mouth does this too anybody know what I'm talking about you make the face for the baby now, when you're feeding the baby and it's two years old or uh, two months old or three months old or six months old and you're doing whatever and then they make a poop and you change a little poo-poo and you're like, oh, you stinky poo-poo. And you talk to them and you wipe their little bottoms and stuff. That's all cute. But if you're 40 years old and that's going on, then you have a developmental issue. And if you're 40 years following Jesus Christ and you're still sitting in this place waiting for somebody to serve you and to force feed you and to clean you up when you make a mess, you are not mature. You have a developmental issue. I want you to be committed and to grow. That's why I wanted to celebrate communion. Today is Harvest Blues Day. I want to celebrate communion before we do it. Here's how we're going to celebrate. This is the body, represents the body of Christ. And you are, says the scriptures, a part of the body of Christ, right? And we always do the same thing in honor of what Jesus did on the cross. We always did the same thing. We always break this before we eat it, right? Is that correct? We always break it. But if you are the body of Christ, his body was broken on the cross. I want you to think about this. When you break it today... Your resistance to God's will is going to get broken. I'm a part of the body. Ow, that hurt. (laughs) Jesus, I pray that as we partake of this bread, our resistance to your will would be broken and we would be fully committed to you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's partake together. And this cup is a symbol that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and washes us from all of our sins. Would you just bow your heads with me around this room? I want to ask a simple question. If you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ and it is your day to say, Jesus, be my Lord, take away my sin. I open my heart to you. Jesus, I give you my life. I confess you as Lord. If this is your day right now, your time, your moment. Just lift your hand up. I want to pray with you right now. And yes, yes. There are others? Let's it's just right now with our hearts, I want you to, don't say it out loud this morning. I want you to breathe it in your heart. I want you to say, Jesus, be my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for receiving And accepting me and making me a part of your kingdom. Amen. Let's partake together.